Kia ora Thank you very much, Jenny. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be with you uh, today at St Barnabas uh, for my wife, Yvette, born and brought up and baptised in St Michael and All Angels in the Diocese of Sabah in Malaysia. Anglicanism is a very familiar terrain, and so um, I understand there's a wee bit of a connection with this in this church with Borneo, which is where she's from, and uh, so perhaps you can uh, find out more about that over coffee. My roots are in the Baptist Church, and my Bintuno grandparents were young missionaries in China in the 1940s, but were married there. They went across as two single people. They were married there by a Canadian Anglican priest who cycled 20 miles one way to marry them and then 20 miles back, which is really going above and beyond the call of duty. But so successful was his task as the celebrant that my grandparents went on to have five children and 17 grandchildren, of which I'm one. I was trying to figure out which, which one of those 17 I was, um, but I, I couldn't count that. And then after returning from China, they had ministries in Gore and Nelson and in Tawa, where they retired. And can I say how lovely it is this morning to recognize some familiar faces from Tawa here Today, uh, we'll catch up, I'm sure, later on. Um, it would also be fair to say that Yvette and I would not be married uh, were it not for the Anglican Church. Wellington Cathedral of St Paul, which many of you will know, holds a particularly special place for us both because that's where I proposed to Yvette just before a whole lot of tourists came in and took a photo of us. Um, if you want to hear the full romantic version of that story, if it's the person to talk to. It's also a pleasure, of course, to be here in Christchurch and on such a lovely day as well. Um, I recently discovered that my ancestors settled here in 1855 and every subsequent generation since was born here except for my father, who, while born in Wellington, decided that he would still come back to Christchurch and studied engineering at the University of Canterbury. My, my grandfather, I found out recently, he was a student at Christchurch Boys High. His father was at Christ's College as a scholarship student. And some further generations back, uh, one of my forebears literally built the Church of the Ascension at Waikari. So there is a very strong sense of Turanga Waiwai here for us today. That sense of whakapapa, of Turanga Waiwai, of history and of place, can ground us in a world and in a time when so much else is changing. And the two readings today help us do that. Our Old Testament reading takes us to one of the greats of our Christian heritage, named alongside Abraham and Isaac as in Exodus 3.15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. He's right up there, Jacob, with the patriarchs of the church. But we also have a story of a much lesser known and, in fact, unnamed woman in the Gospel reading. She's only known to us as the persistent widow. One thinks perhaps when you hear that text that the nagging widow might be a slightly better phrase. 
She wears down the unjust judge until he grants her justice. And so we have here the great and the obscure, the name that goes down in history and the name that is lost to history, a father of many and a woman with no husband, and all night wrestling with God and in all the time petition to a judge. In an interview shortly after his installation as the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby was asked by Nicky Gumbel what he would like prayer for. His response, which I love and have used often, was three words. Strength, wisdom, and courage. We might frame it this way. The strength to persevere the courage to step into the uncomfortable and the wisdom to learn. As Jenny said in her introduction, I'm principal of Bethlehem Tertiary Institute in Tauranga, where I've been since 2017, where we train over 400 students each year to be teachers and social workers and counselors. And some of our newest students at BTI are bright young things who want to change the world. They're ready to climb the ramparts, disrupt the systems, and be agents of good. And woe betide if you stand in their way. Well, you know, and I know, that some of that youthful enthusiasm will wear off. It will get knocked about as it encounters some of the harsher realities of life and of work. It will be questioned and doubted and challenged and tested to its limit. But here's the thing. Some of that refining will be necessary in forming character. It will take external motivations and make them internal truths. It will bring in humility and mercy and justice, three things that really only come from a deeply personal experience of being humbled, receiving mercy, and facing injustice. The temptation for these students, as for Jacob, as for the persistent widow, as for all of us, is to give up at that first hurdle to run toward comfort and security and away from the difficult, the challenging, the suffering, to miss out on opportunities to build resilience and to draw closer to the one who creates and sustains us and gives us life in those moments. So for our students, we could step in as their teachers and say, well, you know, being a social worker, it's all just bread and roses. Being a teacher, it's all cherubs and saintliness. Being a counsellor, it's all nodding and listening. Well, none of that is true. The Bible tells us that the truth sets us free. And we find that truth 
in the person, work, and ministry of Jesus Christ. But to encounter Jesus requires us to have that courage, that strength, and that wisdom. Courage because in encountering him, as Jacob found in encountering God, we will be changed. In his lovely little book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says this, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. He is building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. Strength, because in letting God love us, we come to know that our real strength is in our weakness. That is one of the great truths of the gospel and one of its most uncomfortable. That it's in our weakness that we are strong. Wisdom, because in the renewing of our minds, we will come to quickly realize the limitations of our own plans and the grandeur and the glory and the grace of the plans of God in Christ through the work of the Spirit. And we find that freedom, we find that truth, not through brief encounters or passing acquaintance, but through wrestling with God, persisting in prayer, letting the Spirit get into our dry bones, and then and only then finding the truth of who we are in God. Loved, cherished, blessed, and named. And it is then from that relationship with Christ that we can tell and teach and tend and transform and treasure. You know the persistent widow, we don't know her name. But the Lord does. Jacob wouldn't let God go until he blessed him. The persistent widow wouldn't relent until justice prevailed. And for each they bore the scars of their stamina, the pains of their perseverance. Each day the persistent widow would plea, and each day she was declined. During each hour of the deep watches of the night, Jacob wrestled with God. How many of us know that experience in the deep watches of the night, wrestling with God when things don't make sense anymore? 
as a widow of limited resource and at a time when she was disenfranchised, disadvantaged and dismissed. She must have felt discouragement seep and must have looked older each day in her apparently Sisyphean struggle. May herself have limped in and out of the judge's presence as her body and her spirit and her will began to fail her. Centuries earlier, famously, Jacob limped as well. But these were not limps of failure, but limps of triumph. The persistent widow learned, as so many have done ever since, that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it always bends toward justice. Jacob learned to use those wonderful words by the New Zealand hymn writer Shirley Murray, that here is our hope in the mystery of suffering is the heartbeat of love, love that will not let go. Love that will not let go. No matter how long and how dark the night, love that will not let go. The journeys my ancestors took on the ship Grasmere from London to Littleton during those first few months of 1855 was presumably not all smooth sailing, not without incident, not perhaps without peril. And those on board knew that it was only ever a one-way trip. There was no prospect of return. And amidst the excitement of a new settlement and new lives, there must have been anxiety and trepidation. There must have been loss and sadness. There must have been grief alongside the glory of a home that they were yet to see. And isn't that our experience now? We live in that time between grief and glory. We experience some of that glory now, but we also experience its grief. We know that my ancestors had gratitude for the captain who took them from the old world to the new, from what was once their home to a new place called home. We know this because they wrote a letter of thanks. And this is what it said. 4th of May, 1855. We, the undersigned steerage passengers of the ship Grasmere, beg leave to return to you our united and grateful thanks for all the kindness and attention received from you during our passage from London to New Zealand and that it may please God to grant you a safe and prosperous voyage on your return to England, will be the heartfelt prayer of us all, be assured. Sir, you will always be remembered by us with feelings of gratitude and respect. That must have been quite a journey for them to have said that. And so as they thanked their captain for venturing them into the unknown, so we may thank ours. The same God, let's not forget, that wrestled all night with Jacob. The same God who gives justice to the oppressed and the downtrodden, to the persistent widow. The same God who gives strength and courage and wisdom 
to those who ask. And perhaps when we face our own wrestling matches with God, those are three things that we ourselves may want to ask too. So as they gave thanks, let us also give thanks in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us your gift of faith, that forsaking what lies behind and reaching out to that which is before, we may run the way of your commandments and win the crown of everlasting joy. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.